good afternoon and welcome to the second part of season three of Straight Talking English. We have moved on from Jekyll and Hyde to A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And I can't remember what episode this is, it's definitely season three. My name is Catherine, I am as ever your host at str 8 English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com and very 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 soon i am recording this in july in august the first straight talking english book on the full context of jekyll and hyde will be dropping it will be on amazon i have no idea how much to charge for it because i've never done this before so i'll give you a price as soon as i know so let's get cracking i'm not going to go straight on to christmas carol because there's a little bit more context we need to think about i mean the clues in the title the christmas carol christmas and we can't discuss it without a knowledge of queen victoria or christmas but as the 18th century drew to a close neither of them as we know it was even on the horizon christmas is a victorian invention and without knowing that with assuming the the christmas that we have in our heads is static then we're not going to get the right engagement with it this is a new and exciting season think about victoria first born the 24th of may 1819 victoria was the granddaughter of george iii he of madness of george iii's fame and was conceived in response to the panicked realization that there were no more generations planned for their family there was this mad scramble to try and be the first of George III's kids to have a child, the Duke of Kent won. Woohoo! And Victoria's birth placed her as the next heir. Her Christmas would have been very dull as a baby. We had a Christmas tree that was brought to England from Germany by Victoria's grandma, the Princess Charlotte, but it wasn't very popular there were mince pies but christmas puddings were made of beans no stockings things were a bit like low-key personal and churchy victoria always claimed that she was absolutely miserable as a child and she wrote in her journal later that i led a very unhappy life as a child had no scope for my very violent feelings of affection had no brothers and sisters to live with never had had a father for my unfortunate circumstances were not on comfortable or at all intimate or confidential footing with my mother much as i love her now writing in june 1858 and did not know what a happy domestic life was but i mean she was a very loved kid growing up it's just that her christmases would have been a bit ropey by our standards she had a fiery temper and she could not be told what to do her longtime nanny bestie tutor mentor whatever said i was she was not fond of learning as a little child and baffled every attempt to be taught letters up to five year old when she consented to learn them by being written down before her like wow wow i have taught kids like that i know i have she grew up in this really isolated way and it was to protect her but she became queen in 1837 aged 18 
two years later, she married the man of her dreams, who also happened to be her cousin. But there aren't that many age-appropriate Protestant morally accurate royals. I don't know where I was going with that. I meant age-appropriate royals, but it all got a bit mixed up in my face. She meant Prince Albert. He was the love of her life. She described the evening after her wedding where he clasped me in his arms again and again and we kissed each other. His beauty, his sweetness, his gentleness. Really, how can I ever be thankful enough to have such a husband to lie by his side and in his arms and on his dear bosom? Honestly, like these are some of the less steamy letters I found. Called by names of tenderness, I have never yet heard used to me before was bliss beyond belief when the day dawned, for we did not sleep much. And I beheld that beautiful face by my side, it was more than I can express. Oh, was ever woman so blessed as I am? Like, I honestly love it. The um, the whole attitude the, that we have, that Victorians are prudish, is kind of a middle class thing. We will come back to this a lot, because I'm going to be talking about charity a fair bit this season. But these guys, not prudish they started a massive nine child family in the same years they were doing this mr henry cole who became very important in the founding of the vna museum down here in london commissioned the first christmas card it featured a happy family around the dinner table but they cost a shilling each little bit too pricey by 1848 the royal family realising that their wholesome like PR potential, we're a nice moral family, released some engravings of themselves. According to the exhibition catalogue of the original painting it was copied off of, the iconography was disseminated throughout the empire, an emblem of peace, harmony, concord, wealth, fecundity, love that word, obedience and happiness. They had a bunch of these prints. Bear in mind that this family is three quarters German. Albert is an actual German person and Victoria's mum was German. After one picture of this three quarters German family lovingly decorating a Christmas tree was printed in a newspaper called Illustrated London News. The fashion for Christmas as we now know it was born. For example, 1848, this key year, the enterprising Tom Smith a confectioner, aka sweet maker, who needed to sell sweets in the off season, created Christmas crackers. Initially, they just had like sweets in paper and you pulled the paper. But modern advertising, I mean, like, modernish, and the emergence of this modern media, like newspapers, posters, made this a Christmas staple. And eventually, you had gifts inside instead of sweets. This is the era, the era as well where Christmas carols became standardised. Seasonal songs have existed forever, but authoritative versions were published with lyrics, such as God Rest Ye, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, which had its printed version published in 1830. Fun fact, 
I can't sing that song at the right tempo. This is because, much like the famous hymn Jerusalem and God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, they were covered by 1970s folk rock greats Jethro Tull. And my dad is a massive Tull fan. I think we went to see them last year. And as a result, after hearing these so many times, I can only sing it in the same tempo as Ian Anderson. Which you would be surprised how often that comes up to embarrass me. It is way more than you would think. So, moving forward a little bit, the big, big defining moment is 1851, the Great Exhibition in Hyde Park. It attracted around six million visitors and proclaimed loudly to the world that England was the best and we were the holders of scientific progress and we managed the world's cultures like some kind of weird like interviewers. I am quoting here from A.N. Wilson's Victoria Alive. It's where I got most of my material from. You could see from India there were hundreds of exhibits. Silks, cotton, furniture, rubber, foodstuffs, leather goods, ceramics. Other parts of the empire demonstrated their distinctive wares, snowshoes and sleighs from Canada, as well as mats fashioned from porcupine quills. Okay, that sounds horrible, but I'm sure it isn't, by Native Americans. Architectural styles on display included Augustus Welby Pugin's medieval court, hard by stands, displaying the most up-to-date products of Birmingham. Woo, Birmingham! Gas fittings, brass bedsteads, buttons, needles, while agricultural machinery signalled a new English countryside. The northern towns displayed their wares, a giant stainless steel knife from Sheffield, tighter salts, alpacas and moreens, heavy upholstery fabrics from Bradford, there was a scale model of Liverpool docks and a geological model showing 3,000 square miles of North England in relief. Photography, ironworks, statues and ceramics, steam engines, globes, clocks, all were here in profusion, as well as the madder-seeming modern inventions. A device for tipping people out of bed at a particular hour. That actually sounds amazing. I have so many problems waking up in the morning and if my bed actually ejected me onto the floor, I might wake up. So my mate's got one of these alarm clocks and it explodes <laughs> into four pieces um, if he hits snooze. And then he has to run around his room to put them back together. And that sounds like the most sadistic idea, but I think that's the level I am at right now. <laughs> Gotta wake up! Right, we can also get French silks, German toys, we can get gold ore from the Mariposa mine in California, a model of Niagara Falls, and a block of zinc from America, Mayable statues. The American reaping machine, it's a farm thing, four decorated rooms from Vienna, a dining table with a fountain that spurted eau de cologne. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I mean, what if you press the wrong way and you get a squirt of perfume in your dinner? And I'm allergic to cheap perfume anyway. So, oh my days. I'll just tell you this, how I found that out. Um, So if you're a teacher in a classroom, you there's some phrases that you end up saying and the kids think like you're lying. So it's, um oh, don't swing on your chair because I know a kid who cracked their head open. And the kid's like, yeah, 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 miss. And like, I've had to call ambulances four separate times for injuries. And it's horrible. Um, but there's this kid who was spraying cheap perfume on herself. 
and people always and i said oh can you stop that and she was like oh yeah 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 miss someone in the class might have asthma and i'm like no my throat is closing up please please and i i feel like i feel like she learned something there <laughs> the respect but the point is the point is we have these respectable beautiful impressions of this is what England is. The Morning Chronicle said it's an important chapter in the history of the human race. As a people, we are not what we were. Most of the papers congratulated themselves for being British. All these national characteristics, resourcefulness, steadiness in a crisis, financially astute, unflappable and rich, were ones which the press and perhaps the public at large were now prepared to assign in more or less equal proportions to themselves and the moral pair. So while at the same time we've got Robert Louis Stevenson running around being a libertine and like just being a weirdo, we have this impression of we are English, Victoria is us, this sense of national pride that's very, very specific. The cult of being respectable emerged from the royal's own public sober and serious behaviour. Both Victoria and Albert had witnessed the fallout from scandalous behaviour like affairs within their own families. Problem is, the Prince of Wales, aka Bertie, started dating an actress and they were furious. Queen Victoria legendarily disliked most of her own children. She'd previously called Bertie very dull and anything but good looking and albert was the more caring parent he went to have a man-to-man -man with bertie about like dating an actress then he died because typhus fever as a coincidence attacked someone with a weakened immune system through stress this then became associated in victoria's mind with you behave badly you don't behave respectfully you you die you kill your parents that's it victoria was with him as prince albert died and she said two or three long but perfectly gentle breaths were drawn the hand clasping mine and oh it makes me sick to write it all all was over i stood up kissing his dear heavenly forehead and called out in a bitter agonizing cry oh my dear darling and then dropped on my knees in a mute distracted despair unable to utter a word or shed a tear sad times this led to 10 years of public withdrawal the last family christmas in 1860 was basically the only happy one that would happen for quite a while their dinner itself was quite interesting at this final happy christmas it included cold baron of beef i don't know what this is brawn brains game pie stuffed turkey wild boar's head which was always the prince's favourite, with a particular German sauce, which the chef at Coburg had invented. Mince pies and bonbons of all kinds. It's interesting because there's a turkey. Turkey was beginning to take over as the quote-unquote Christmas meat. People's, people's families were getting bigger, and that made the turkey the perfect size. With the traditional goose relegated to being a poor people's meat. Goose, my opinion, is about ten times more tasty than a turkey. I love a good goose. Don't agree with this. But this makes Scrooge's gift of a turkey equal to the gift of modernity, progress and wealth rather than it just being a big enough meal for all those hungry little cratchits. 
the Queen's role as a public figure, despite her physical isolation, presented her as a figurehead of all that is British. But her Christmases, which sort of rumbled on in kind of a diminished state, were mostly cribbed from Germany. Indeed, her grandson, Kaiser Wilhelm II, was awarded the rank of Admiral in the time in both the German and English navies, showing how close the two countries were before World War I. Pretty much everything that's going on is cribbed from a German Christmas. I asked my number one favourite German person, who's my mate I've had from school, and she told me a bit about German Christmas. It's on Christmas Eve, not the 25th. It's all about the children. Der Nikolaus, Santa Claus, has arrived on the 6th of December, leaves nuts and sultanas in your shoes, but if you're bad, the Krampus will have left discs on your shoes. I, I love this because there's so many similarities. Shoes become stockings. Like, the Nikolaus becomes Santa Claus. The whole thing becomes a lot more public as well. You had before, Christmas was kind of a personal time, or you might provide it for your servants, but Christmas, this is the era of the, like, the office Christmas party, of someone laying on a spread of, like, providing a celebration for others. It becomes a huge deal. Despite living in England her whole life, Victoria never actually felt like an English person. And as late as 1890, she would use phrases like, you English. She was the UK's longest reigning monarch until she was overtaken by our current queen, Queen Elizabeth II. After years of poor health, she died in 1901. So why, why am I telling you about Queen Victoria? Isn't this supposed to be a literature podcast? Isn't this like, I don't know, am I supposed to be talking about books? I think this is books is a thing I do now. Well, let's give you some reasons why understanding at least a little bit about Queen Victoria is important to our books. Between the four texts that are going to be in this season, Frankenstein in 1818, Christmas Carol in 1843, Jekyll and Hyde in 1865, and The Sign of Four in 1890, she is the point of continuity. You don't feel like there's much in common with those stories. We've got a detective one, uh, the supernatural man is not truly one but two, uh you know, be generous Ebenezer Scrooge and then, you know, monstrous stuff. There's nothing else in common except Victoria and quote-unquote Victorian values. Point number two. She and her family defined the national identity of the settings during this period. Mary Shelley, definitely definitely English, lived in Italy, but set Frankenstein in Germany. Even though she's calling it Germany, it still looks and feels and acts like England. Christmas Carol, London book, Dickens, British writer. Lewis, a very strong Scotch identity, calls it London in his books, but he's basically Edinburgh with the tube, isn't it? Sign of four, British writer, London setting we if she is the point of reference if she is the main factor in these writers national identities then we need to know about her finally victoria's pr machine and the media presence linked to a section of the population who were almost the exact audience for our books so we talk about like the reader's reaction we're talking about a reader who 
has leisure time, which is very much a Victorian invention. The weekend is a Victorian invention. They were interested in current affairs. We also, in the UK and France as well, we were fortunate enough to have developed a section of society that could be critical of the government. So we had newspapers, writers, we had kind of a cultural space to talk about current affairs and people did access that. People were on the whole becoming more educated, all the way down from private schools, teaching those how to rule and be gentlemen, down to the ragged schools providing the very, very basics for the people who had nothing. This is also a readership who have spare income. Not a lot, not everybody, but if you can afford a little bit of money, you can be one of the readers that we're talking about. One of the cool things Dickens did was he made his books a subscription service. So you pay X amount a week and you get delivered to your house the next chapter of the book. And to be honest, I would love to do that now, actually. I... Bagsy, Bagsy, I'm going to do that. I will get a famous writer to write a novel and we'll get delivered a chapter a week and it will be amazing. The quote-unquote great nation, the people with this Victorian identity which is built up, are our readership. Christmas is celebrated in this uniquely British way for the first time. We've got a Christmas tree, people decorating it with pretty things that they like. There are gifts. Okay, they're on the 25th, not the 24th like in Germany. There's presents. This is the age of the great consumer. You enjoy yourself through consumption. We've got carols that are standardised. We've got the price of cards eventually drop. And with the increase in the post, they are sent. It's something like 11 million is sent in 1848 or something like that. We've got someone coming to deliver our presents. We've got a tradition emerging of people coming together who may not be related in order to celebrate. This is new. This is fashionable. This is something that Dickens loves and plays on. Next episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Mr. Charlie Dickens and why he loved Christmas so very very much as i do you a little author profile thank you very very much for listening i'll be back next week to get you cracking on the analysis of a christmas carol str8 talk english on twitter straighttalkingenglish.com buy my book when it comes out i'm going to keep saying that just like subliminally drop it in it'll be like oh christmas carol scrooge said buy my book let's <laughs> see if that works see if that works And I will speak to you very, very soon.